Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Alex Mo. And yes, we are three minutes late. I'm from the Caribbean. Alex is from Colombia. And we're on time. Has... We're <laughs> so we're on time. I'm Nigerian, <laughs> so we're all on time. So welcome, guys, to another episode of the Alex Mo. And we are so honored to have UC um, Uchana on our uh, podcast tonight. Um, it's been a long time coming. I'm a huge fan. Um, my sister Anisha was like, you better get her on this uh, show. So Anisha, this is for you. Happy early birthday present. <laughs> you all are so kind. I'm honored to be chatting it up with you all. Yes, yes. You are busy. I, I, I am so busy. I'm the busiest. I'm a busy bumblebee. How about that? I'm a busy bumblebee. You're a busy bumblebee? Bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around. So you just came back from the uh, World Physiotherapy uh, um, Congress, right? Yes, yes, from Dubai. But I mean, truly, I just got back from Asheville mm -hmm. this morning because uh, oh. I had a <laughs> <laughs> like frequent. Like, do you, I think you need to have your own private jet. I really do. <laughs> if it wasn't so bad for the environment, I would have my private jet. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Delta, I'm a Delta person through and through. This is a little plug for Delta. I love Delta. Um, even though their prices are disrespectful this summer, <laughs> like so disrespectfully high. I was like, why, why? You know? <laughs> but if it wasn't for my status maintenance, I would mm -hmm. be running for the hills, but you know, I got to have those free upgrades. But, um, yeah, no, I just came back from world physio in Dubai, um, which was fantastic. You know, it's, it's my favorite physical therapy conference. Really? I've but never been. I, I would like to go to the next one in Tokyo. I did want to go to this one, but, you know, I had my reservations because of, you know, me being gay and it being so restrictive. So I, I didn't attend. Yes. But. There were a lot of my colleagues, our colleagues, mm -hmm. Uh, from the LGBTQIA plus communities who were in attendance. Um, mm -hmm. We had a few happy hours. Um, and, you know, when you're thinking, and a lot of people had reservations. And, but I went because when I think about uh, the United, the US and their stance on LGBTQIA rights and Africa and the Middle East, everyone is uh, it's almost like we're going backwards a little bit, but that's usually the circle of things, right? You see progress, you make progress, you move forward, then you see it revert. And then you go back into the human rights violations, then you come back to progress. And usually that's how the world turns with this piece. And so for me, I wanted to be present um, as uh, not even an ally, more like a disruptor. Because and that you've definitely like, been. You've yeah, definitely been like, in that space. Yeah, I feel like being an ally isn't enough. You you just have to holler. You have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to put your body where where the where the oppression is happening, and you need to be present and be visible. So how was it? Like, what was what was your experience like in Dubai? And I mean, obviously, you see stuff on TV, and and not just the negative stuff, but obviously the the positives or, or the, the different glamorous type lifestyles and, you know, stuff like that. What, what was that like? Uh, you know, I will tell you, I, I've, I've traveled a lot, but I was really 
because of all of the the conversations around Dubai, and I've traveled to Qatar a few times, Doha a few times, and I think going to Dubai, I was more I was more concerned because I was worried. I didn't want to. I wanted to respect the culture, right? So I was really thoughtful about my clothes and things like that. But then when you get there, because it's such a high tourist uh, space, I mean, it almost felt like a modest Vegas, you know? Um, People were dressing how they wanted to dress. Um, You know, granted, it's not, you're not seeing Vegas showgirls walking down the street, that's for sure. But you did see the flash, right? You see, you saw the like expensive cars and all of that. But then there's also a deep, rich culture, um, and I was able to do, um, you know, some tours in the old Souk, the old Dubai, and check out the Souks. Um, and I was able to do a little bit of that um, while I was there. Uh, so the experience of Dubai was actually everyone was very friendly. I felt very safe. Um, and you know, it's definitely a different culture, right? It's a different, it's definitely a different culture. But I felt safe and comfortable as a tourist. But I was also, I also did my research going there too. So I didn't just walk in being like, "I'm American, here I am, accommodate me," because that's obnoxious. <laughs> um, and you know, and you can spot that a mile away, you know, too. When you just, it's cringeworthy when you're checking in at the hotel and you're like, "Yep, those are those are those are Americans. Those are." Those are my people just acting a fool. <laughs> so, so let, let's take it back a little bit. So obviously, yeah. you know, you are PT and you've got this amazing practice and, and space that you operate in, but take us back, take us to how it first got started. Um, you mentioned you were from Nigeria. Were you born in Nigeria? No, I, um, so my parents were birth, both, uh, both Nigerian, okay. uh, born and raised, and they both came to the U.S. Uh, for college and grad school with the intention to go back home to Nigeria. But then as they, you know, my dad was working on his MBA and my mom was working on her master's degree and they just, then, you know, she got pregnant with my sister and they were just like, ah, and then my dad got a job. So they, I think they always had the plan to go back to Nigeria and it just ended up, they ended up staying here. Um, but, you know, I was born and raised in Dallas, Dallas, hmm. Texas, um, private school kid my whole life. And I remember, you know, I went, I went to Boston University for undergrad, which was one of the best decisions I ever made. I loved, I love Boston. I loved being in Boston as a college student. Um, and as a young professional, I, I lived there two years after college, but I remember being in Boston and, you know, I started, I actually started as a freshman in their master's of physical therapy program. And then my first semester, I was like, this is hard and I just want to party. I just want to be 18. I want to have a good time. So then I switched majors and I, uh, did my degree in, uh, rehabilitation, uh, counseling. And then uh, I worked at MassGen for two years um, as a clinical research coordinator. So between MIT and MassGen, I was I was working on you know memory disorders. And then I, I went to PT school, uh, UIC, and that's where I did my DPT and then my residency at WashU. And so while I was doing my w- women's health residency, I was always interested in pelvic health. I was always interested in sexual health. And so I thought when I did my residency that I would know we would learn more about specific sexual function, dysfunction. And and I had a brilliant residency education. So I but I remember asking about that and um, 
my mentor and, and colleague, boss lady, Dr. Tracy Spitznagel, she said, well, you, you know what? I think that's something that we need to look into. And I was also their first resident. So, you know, she, <laughs> I was the guinea pig resident. You were Gumby. Yes, yes. And, flexible. You know, it was, I, I just kind of went with the flow. And so after practicing a few years, that's when I decided to do the um, sexual health certification program through University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And I was, uh, it was myself and Judy Abel. Um, she's based out in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, we were the only two physical therapists in this program. The rest were like MDs, nurses, uh, licensed mental health professionals, clergy people, teachers. We were the only two PTs in this program. And I went there, honestly, just to learn the didactics, to learn how to be a better clinician when it came to sexual functioning. And then came UC Logic, right? All of this kind of built out of that because I, I wasn't trying to get a certification. I wasn't trying to be the only one getting this or that. And now there's so many pelvic PTs or just PTs in general pursuing this, which I think is fantastic. And so I, it's just exciting to see how things have evolved in our profession, you know, and I've always been, I've always been one to kind of look outside our profession as a physical therapist. Like even when I was in PT school, um, I, I always wanted to, I always took classes in the school of public health or the business school because I was just curious. I just wanted to learn more. And, um, and now it, the way that I look at my career and the way that I, my things are running with UC Logic, it's, it's definitely not a traditional path, but it's a path that uh, is comfortable with my values and how I want to move forward. So you basically, so what's your why? Like, you told us your journey. Why? Why? What is UC Logic? Who is it for? Yeah, UC Logic is uh, it's a sex education platform for adults, mm -hmm. right? So, in my experience uh, as a as a physical therapist, and I saw people for years suffering for sexual dysfunction, and oftentimes it was because of lack of education, because of sociocultural constructs that we were never given. Uh, adequate sexual scripts to be who we are as individuals. Um, they suffer so much. And we all think that we're supposed to know everything about sex in our sex education class by the time we're 16. It's like, the hell? No. We evolve. <laughs> our lifespan is, is long and large, God willing, right? And so we will evolve as sexual beings, as humans. And, and I want to help people to inform their erotic and sexual intelligence so that they can lead fulfilling lives. So it doesn't have to stop them in their tracks. You know, just especially if you have a chronic, you know, just chronic condition or you experience an, an injury or surgery that might sideline you for a while. A lot of times people change that they feel like their sexuality is kind of fit into this perfectly like able body, right? And depending on who you ask, you know, people may not view themselves as healthy. People may not view themselves as sexual or functional. And so UC Logic is, the purpose of UC Logic is to build and grow that intelligence. Um, and it also creates spaces for, for it to be intersectional, right? We're not looking at it from the lens of like cisgender white bros. And we're not just looking at it from a lens of non-binary black folk. We're looking at, at, looking at it from an intersectional lens. Everyone needs to know what role their identity has and how they develop as a human being, how their audacity with pursuing sex, learning about sex, engaging as a sexual person. All of that is all kind of tied to 
the initial historical insult of colonialism and white supremacy, you know, and I know people are like, how the hell can you tie that in? It's like, well, it's like, it infects everything we do. It infects how we negotiate money, education, how we think, and also how society views us as sexual beings. Definitely true. Um, I'm reading a book right now. Um, Everyone should be a millionaire. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's crazy because uh, she keeps repeating um, that women, um, we should not uh, make ourselves feel inferior. And she did mention what you said about um, we're so bashful when it comes to sex or even talking and experiencing orgasms that we under-negotiate, we underestimate like our performance in certain things. And we, we're the ones who suffer mostly, especially black women from imposter syndrome. And I had no idea that tied into like- All of it. being. So um, I'm glad you have created the platform for us to, to use, but I, I'm like, oh my God, her parents are Nigerian. I wonder how they feel about her doing this. Oh, they're totally <laughs> fine. They're totally okay. fine. I mean, my, my, my mom is a little bit of a, of a rebel. You know, okay. she's, 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 you know, she's a scientist, but she's also very Catholic, but she's a scientist first, right? She's, she's a human first. Um, and so she doesn't, my mom never ascribed to patriarchy in the way that, you know, cu culturally she was just, even my aunties were like, your mom was just, uh -uh. yeah, auntie, your mother's different, you know, <laughs> she's different. And I'm like, yeah, mom's a little bit of a weirdo, but in the best way. I'm you know. glad she, she was a good role model for you because, you know, we need that. Um, yeah. Future generations need that because we model our parents' behavior and it either would make you free your wings or it could keep you closed. So 100%. 100%. I was very lucky. I, I just, the stork dropped me with the right, right people. Indeed. Well, why do you think now is the right time um, or for you to have this platform? Because it's definitely a need, but I feel like over the last several years, the, the, the foundation has laid for something like UC Logic. Um, does that make sense? Like what, what I'm saying? Sense. You know, because, what's funny? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, because it just feels like what feels like to me from night to day, it was okay to have these conversations. And not only was it okay to have these conversations, it was okay to have these conversations with your healthcare providers. It's okay to have these conversations in a circle of friends um, where before it was thought as, no, this stays behind closed doors. This stays with your partner or, or whatever the case may be, you know, even not only the sexual stuff, but even like, infertility and IVF and, and being able to discuss that, you know, my boys who are the, the God's greatest gift to me is a result of IVF. Um, my wife and I were able to have our boys through IVF. Um, but back then you didn't talk about that. If you right. were struggling, trying to have children, you didn't talk about it. And if you did, nobody understood. It was like, oh, it'll happen. Or, you know, just keep trying, you know, like, right. you, know, you know, just things that now there's more depth to it, right? Like we have a, there's, there's a problem and we need to figure out a way to, to fix this problem. But it just seems like 
I would say within my oldest is seven. So definitely within the last seven years, it seems like, hey, open doors just swung open to where we could have these conversations. Why do you think that is? You know, I, I, when I, when I tell you, I don't know. I think it's a combination of things. I think that what has been happening, I think it hasn't been the past few years. I think it's been the past 30 years. I think the way that people have been looking at health and talking about health, um, some of the trailblazers like Dr. David Williams from Harvard, who discusses uh, that racism is a factor and in one of the reasons why we have health disparities, right? He's not, he's saying racism is a health indicator, <laughs> right? You have Dr. Cameron Jones, who also public health superhuman is doing research. You have a lot of writers, you have people like Audre Lorde, you have, you know, Alice Walker, people talking about oppression and justice. There's been so much bedrock and foundation laid um, that we're seeing things open up in terms of the idea of health. So when you're talking about fertility, right now you're talking about it more openly. When you're talking about sex and disabilities, when you're talking about all of those things, I think that 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 has been creeping up for a while. Like I started UC Logic seven years ago, right? And I just wanted to just give people base. I didn't have business goals with it. I, I didn't even understand Instagram at the time, right? I remember I had a contract with Trojan, con not tro Trojan, it was Lifestyles condom, condoms, right? They hired me as a, as, as a brand ambassador. They're like, you need a social media presence. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. <laughs> And, and I started, and, and UC Logic was already something that I was thinking of. And I just said, well, like, I'll just, I'll call it this. I'll, you know, and, and when I started doing that, I just wanted to drop education. I just wanted to give people information. That was it. And I think that I was coming at a time where there were also people around me who were doing the sex education stuff, but it was more on the fringe, but it was kind of becoming more and more and more mainstream. And I think media also is that factor because the media piece has been talking about sex more openly. You had uh, shows like Murphy Brown in the 80s. You had the Mary Tyler Moore show. You had Sex in the City, right? You had Grace and Frankie. You had you know, living single, you, you know, so you had all of these shows that were kind of building that up. So you had that from that social, social and media aspect. So I think that's happened. And I think also with George Floyd and COVID, you had this interesting, like three years ago, you see the spike in the consumption of information because people, that's all people had time to do. More it's than enough time to do. Yeah, <laughs> mass production of genius. Of, of social genius and, and, and people thrived. A lot of people thrived. I mean, it was awful time, but it was also a time where people where information just exploded and people's access to information exploded. And you saw through that being sequestered and isolated, people found community and they found, um, you know, collective collective understanding. And then you see a lot of these conversations emerging, emerging, so. So um, walk us through the process because you said you weren't even thinking like business-wise with UC Logic, you just wanted to drop information. But yeah. it, it's clearly obvious that you love what you do and your, your content is very creative. So to upcoming physical therapists um, or 
pelvic health uh, physical therapists who want to create that type of product or something similar, what advice would you give to them? Uh, stay true to you. So this is one thing I always thought about with UC Logic. It's like, what is, what is my credo? What's important to me? Um, I'm very true to myself. I don't do anything that compromises my values as UC. Um, that's important. And I had a certain level. There are things I reveal in UC Logic and in my social media stuff, and there are things that I don't reveal. Um, and and that's just me. You know, everyone has their own social media style. You just want to do something that's consistent and authentic to to who you are. Um, another thing for me too. One of the reasons why, and so this again was the time in which I started UC Logic, is I was talking about sex. So I wasn't sure how much I was going to be censored. So it did help that I was a licensed healthcare professional. It did help that I had this board certification in women's clinical specialists. It did help that I was that I had done all this training and like I had I had the receipts. I had the receipts. So like I was like, well, you know, hey, I'm I'm a practicing clinician, like you know, I'm a professor, like I'm, you know, like I'm legit. I'm legit AF. So I felt very comfortable that I was standing on solid ground when I was talking about these things. Like I was doing the research, I was engaged in the clinical practice, I was engaged in the academic practice. So I was like this 360 homie, just like telling y'all the truth and using like educational framework, but then also my clinical knowledge and research knowledge to impart accurate and safe and informative content. So that was how I moved forward. You do not need to be the super expert, right? You don't have to be the super expert. You just need to know what you know. And if you know what you know and you're confident in what you know, then stick, stay in that lane. And then as you learn more, you talk about it. There are things that I do not talk about openly or often because it's like, I'm not the expert in kink and BDSM. I can talk about it from a, like an introductory standpoint and explain to people what it is, but I might refer them to someone else who's really, really great at that. You know, and so there are things that I, I just know about myself and that takes time and experience. But as long as you stay true to yourself, true to your knowledge and speak on the things you feel comfortable in speaking on, that's going to be where it's at. But if you speak on things that you don't feel comfortable speaking on, that you don't really have a strong knowledge base in, that's when you get into trouble. Solid, solid. Yeah, good advice. I know you had mentioned that you were always interested in, in the women's health and, and that arena. And that's kind of what sparked it for you. Mm -hmm. What was it that drew you to that? <laughs> so, um, so because I come from very Nigerian parents, it was one of those things where it was only, you can only be a doctor, lawyer, engineer um, in our culture. Right. Uh, <laughs> so like those are the, or like a really successful artist. You know, my mom was like, oh, you can be an artist, you know, don't be darling. You have a gallery and painting. I could bring your aunties, you know, that type of thing. But um, so I was I was uh, 15 years old. And I told my my parents, mostly my mom, I said, I don't want to go to school in Texas. I'm down with Texas. And she's like, OK. <laughs> and so she says, well, if you want to go to school out of state, it's expensive. So you're going to have to have scholarships. So you need to be competitive. I was like, oh, OK. So I went to my school counselor 
And I told her, I said, I just, I need an internship. Like that packs a heavy punch. So she, so she got me an interview uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. So I was an intern with the Dallas Cowboys with their CFO oh. at the time, the Blue Star Network. Um, and so I was this like six, I was this 15 year old intern, like in meetings with these like, you know, and I had no idea what Blue Star Network was. I grew up in Dallas. I was a huge Cowboys fan. I didn't know what that was. Like, I was like, oh, my God. She's my and favorite then, guest. Yeah. And, my and, favorite guest. and it was really, it was so great because you got to see, and this was like when Emmett Smith was still playing, Troy Aikman was still playing. So I'm aging myself a little bit, um, you know, like, you know, Jay Novacek, like those, those people, like, you know, the, moose. the OGs, Moose, Moose, oh my gosh. Oh my, my God. <laughs> so, um, Moose Johnson, man, oh, my sister had the biggest crush on him too. And she's like, <laughs> this, but so I was doing that, but that was only three days a week. And so I needed something else. So my mom said, well, you said you were interested in physical therapy because I played soccer at the time. And so I got this internship with a physical therapist. Her name is Kathy Tisco in Dallas. And I thought it was a uh, sports therapy, sports PT. Nope. It was a pelvic health PT. And I remember calling my mom during lunch being like, am I allowed to work here? <laughs> <laughs> like, are, you know, is this, and my mom's like, it's just like going to a gynecologist. Of course you're allowed. She's like, it's science. Yes. She's like, you committed. So finished, you know? And so I fell in love. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. Like, I don't want to manage millions of dollars of real estate assets. <laughs> and a football team. <laughs> I just want to do pelvic health. <laughs> so see, that, that's awesome because, I mean, obviously very, like, naive. But I, it, based on the timeline you've given us, uh, I would have never thought that that was even a thing back there. You know, like I, re I remember in PT school and I graduated in 08 from PT school. I think we probably had like a lesson that consisted of maybe 45 minutes to an hour's worth yeah. of, of women's health or pelvic therapy. Right. But it was, it, it I, from what I remember, it just felt like taboo. Like we, we're not supposed to be talking about this. Like you don't really do it. And when we do do it, it's like, you know, it's just one very simplistic intervention that we do. And if it doesn't work, like send them off, you know, like, right. and I just feel like now it's, it's kind of boomed, right? Like you hear more of pelvic, uh, therapists, you hear more of the women's health and how it's being bigger part. And I feel like kind of to my point earlier, where now it's okay for women who have had children to, to say, Hey, I need help. Or I've got this going on and it doesn't really feel normal. Or is it normal? Like, what should I feel after I have a child? Um, I had a C-section. How does that change from having a vaginal delivery, you know, like all these things that people need to know. And for the longest, I feel like women just kind of held it inside. And, and now you're even hearing about men, you know, we had, um, Adam, Adam yeah. last year who does men's, uh, pelvic health in New York. 
Um, you know, so all these different things where, again, back in 08, when I'm graduating PT school, it just wasn't on the radar. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I was I never exclusively treated one gender. Never. My whole career. I've treated across the gender spectrum from the jump. So it's actually funny, you know, um, it's funny now, especially when I'm doing now a lot more, um, more like uh, higher profile projects, you know, they're, they're asking me about like pregnancy and postpartum. And it's so funny because it's like, I was thinking to myself, man, it's like, I, you know, I, I feel very comfortable, obviously pelvic health, health, pelvic health person, but it's like, it's interesting how a lot of people, they started with that. Right. And I started with pregnancy and postpartum, but like, you know, past few years, it's been like non-binary folks, people with penises, men, trans folks, women, all types. So it's across the spectrum when you're thinking about pelvises, because we all have a pelvis and anything could go wrong with our pelvic, pelvic floor and the pelvic floor system, the system that engages with the pelvic floor, which is our whole body. Right. So even though I'm a public health specialist, I need to know my neuro stuff. I need to know my ortho stuff. Right. <laughs> I need to know my vestibular stuff. You know, and all of us are equipped. All of us have the all pelvic, all PTs have the information and the skill to manage this properly. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're, you know, doing all of us are doing pelvic exams, but we can manage this. We can direct this. But you're right. I mean, it evolved. I graduated in 2010 and. Did I? Or 2011? I, either 2011, no, 2010. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I was really lucky. Like when I, where I, at UIC, we had an elective, we had, we had lectures, you know. Um, I remember I was one of those, you know, froggy PT students where I, I told my advisor from the jump, I said, I want to do public health. And they had, they got me a job as a research assistant with Cindy Neville at RIC in Chicago. I know it's not called RIC anymore, but, and I, I worked with her for a year, right? In addition to PT school. So I could like get that research piece under my belt. And so it was, I, you know, I definitely was very intentional uh, in my education. I wanted to maximize where I was, like the part, the fact that I was at, a, you know, a large state, in, you know, state institution um, I, I really try to take advantage of that, you know, and so I think that's also it's just how just my way I've always been. Um, but also, I think it really helped inform my practice moving forward. So you mentioned you have a sister, is that correct? I have I have two sisters. I have my older sister. I tell people she's my much older sister, even though we're only 18 months apart, but she looks younger than me. So I tell people that she's like 75 and I'm. <laughs> I'm a jerk, but I do this all the time. <laughs> and I have a younger sister. She's 17. Okay. So it's like a big range. And, so. and what, what are their uh, professional endeavors, given the, the, the cultural stuff yeah. that you talked about? So my sister's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> like, graduated from Ivy League. Like, she's obnoxious. Like... D1 athlete, like she's the worst, but also the best at the same time. No, <laughs> she's amazing. Like I, she literally came out of my mom with a six pack abs and just maintained that her whole damn life. And she's just like this superhuman who's like, I think I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to be drinking. <laughs> I'll, make, I'll make a sign for you. Love you so much. 
Um, but yeah, no, what she's working on. So my sister's actually pretty amazing in the fact that she uh, has sunsetted the traditional law practice um, and she wants to work on um, closing the wealth gap for people of color. And so she's in the process of developing an app to help people with generational wealth acquisition and um, a lot of those things that, because one of the things she was telling me about from a financial system standpoint is not that she's like, the reason why you're seeing white people with so much more aggregate health, it's not because they work harder. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because they have more money. She's like, it's not because they make more money. It's because of generational wealth. Mm -hmm. right? yeah, the generation is what puts them apart you know so like you know grandma dies over here and left you two million dollars <laughs> or left you this house that's worth two million dollars and this other auntie here died and left you 80 grand and you know so you you know and you're seeing that a lot more in in those groups so she's working on an app to help people um you know understand their wills their what their their assets and you know kind of helping with that process. So she's, she's a superhuman. I'm, I'm super proud of her and the little 17 year old, you know, she's just being 17 and <laughs> her brain's on fire, which is great. So really where does she great. want to go to school? Who knows? So we had this conversation this Saturday and she was like, she's applying to Caltech. She's applying to Stanford. She's, she's really, really smart she just she wants to she wants to do she wants to do like nanotechnology um and so <laughs> uh, you know what we're not gonna bypass the fact that she mentioned that she started pt school at 17 but then you you, you did mention that right well i was i was 18 at the time but 18, yeah, yeah yeah but i i i quit <laughs> He said, they ain't trying to work this hard right now. I ain't trying to listen. This is, that, that's also the Nigerian in me. It's like, I like to party. And I, I was like, look, I'm, if I'm going to be in college, let me be in college. Yeah, I'll if you enjoy it. Later. I'll do grad school later. <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. So are, is, are you all in Texas then? Yes. Yes. So you came well, back to Texas after you were sick of Texas. Yes. Yes. Isn't that funny? I mean, I'm in Austin, um, okay. which is an interesting place in and of itself. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've been in Texas, you know, since 2012, um, back in Texas since 2012, after being gone for quite a while, for uh, 11 years. And your parents are still in Dallas? Mm hmm Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about Texas, what's interesting about healthcare, I think that I've, I've seen, um, you know, in terms of access, it's just different. The way people access healthcare is, is different by region, you know, the audacity of care, the challenges that are different in terms of access, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's immigration, whether it's, you know, <laughs> not having the specialists that you need, um, the lack of information, um, provider bias, uh, lack of trust in the community, you know, so um, those are the things that I, I've, I've been observing. Um, you know, Austin is, what people forget is Austin is technically a small town. You know, it's like I, a melting pot though, a lot it, of young people. It, yeah, you know, you know, you know what city is a melting pot is Houston. Houston, okay. You know, like Houston is highly international. I remember 
when I worked at Houston Methodist, like people were flying from like the Middle East, from South America, from Europe to get care. In Austin, you know, you don't have that same um, energy. It's a different, it's a different space. And, and also like I saw more rural patients in Houston than I did in, in Austin initially because people were coming from like all over to get, cause they're like, we wanna come to the Houston Medical Center. And then, and then with Austin, I, it was just a completely different culture and a different space. And I learned, I learned so much when I was in Houston, because those were, you know, the beginning of my career, up to my mid-career. And then in Austin, I, I transitioned into like assistant professor, right, in a medical school where I was the only physical therapist on faculty in a medical school. And that was interesting. <laughs> and I learned a lot from an academic standpoint on how to teach and how to, you know, develop curriculum and, um, but then also how to manage a, a large, a large program. And so it was, you know, I, I think my career, what people forget is that I am still a professor. Like I'm now I'm with the University of Utah. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm juggling, juggling both. So uh, you're in Texas. Uh, yeah. There have been some recent state bans uh, limiting mm -hmm. access to care for a huge part of the community that you serve. Um, yeah. How, as a physical therapist and mm -hmm. someone who advocates for human rights, how does that make you feel? And what would you champion us as healthcare practitioners to do? So it should, I mean... Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's nauseating, and it's it's disappointing. Um, that being said, you know, for me being a black woman in America, I'm like, you know, rolling my sleeves up, like let's get to work, because people still need care. I am very comfortable with falling on my face. I am very comfortable in my position of privilege, because I am in a position of privilege, right? Even though I'm a black woman in America, I am a healthcare provider. I have access, I have knowledge, I have information. I'm gonna use my privilege to help my fellow humans, my neighbors, to get access and care for themselves, their children, their family members, their patients. You know, there are a lot of attacks on women's rights too in Texas, across the country, across the world. You know, a lot of my colleagues are now being criminalized for providing healthcare to women and non-binary non-binary vulva owners. And so I think us as healthcare providers is we need to really, I challenge people to number one, really know their history and not just the history of their city, but know the history of the world and where colonialism comes from and the the rippling effects of colonialism. And that's the point is to disempower groups and to understand that race is a social construct and patriarchy is a social construct and heterosexism is a social construct and that we can change those things. We have to change our mindset. In order for us to be the best advocates, we need to be armed with information and we need to change our mindset. And we need to be, it's not about like, it's not like I'm saying I'm willing to stand in front, you know, and stand up and protect my, I am going to do that. I am going to protect my fellow humans. I am going to use my voice. I am going to advocate in ways that make sense to me. I'm going to use my resources. 
And I think physical therapists, like it is our responsibility to know what's going on in our state. It is our responsibility to ask our patients how they are feeling. We can't just like go there and like have these visits and just like ignore the fact that there's a bear in the room. How do you feel about this bear that's in the room? Because I'm upset about it, but I wanna hold space for you if you wanna talk about it. If you don't wanna talk about it, cool, but at least I've opened this up. Because if you have a patient who's dealing with these issues and we're not addressing that, how do you think their nervous system is functioning? How do you think their immune system is functioning? How do you think their musculoskeletal system is functioning? We all understand the impact of oppression, the impact of stigma, GI issues, mental health issues, musculoskeletal issues. So if we're sitting here as like, you know, movement people, health people, health promoters, right? If we're, if we're addressing population health, we have to ask about the things that are impacting the lives and humanity of our patients. We have to, like, we need to just roll up our sleeves and do that. That is good healthcare. That's not politics. That's just good healthcare. I, I agree with you. Um, oftentimes we get pushback saying that it's something that they can't control or it's beyond their control. And for some people, the only thing they can control is their skill set. So that's what they focus on. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. But you know what? I did not grow up with a skill set of, you know what I did? Let me, let me not even say that. I remember my mom, I, I remember in grade school, I asked my mom about birth control because I went to Catholic school. And I said, mom, you know, Monsignor Johnson said that, <laughs> you know, it's a sin. And, and we talked about this. And my mom said, no matter what, at the end of the day, we can't use our religion to oppress other people. We use our religion as a spiritual guide for ourselves. But your number one job is to be a good neighbor and to honor everyone's humanity. And that is what I learned from my family. That's what I take from religion. And that's how I, that's the, the way that I move in this, in this world. For me to walk around with my head in the sand when my patients and fellow people are, their rights are being taken away that doesn't, that for me, that doesn't sit well, but that's how I've crafted my brain to think, you know, if you, if you, but if I had a ton of privilege, like, I don't know, like if I'm someone that had like all of the privilege, right? Like, and that's the thing, we need to stop being so sensitive about some of these words, like white supremacy, privilege, like, I'm not saying that you're a multimillionaire or that every, every white person's a multimillionaire. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the privilege is that you get the benefit of the doubt, no matter what. You are the standard, no matter what. <laughs> that in and of itself is a privilege, right? That is a privilege to have that, to walk in space where your humanity is never questioned. And so to have that as a baseline, because you can still have your humanity questioned as a white woman, but like at the same time, it's different than being a black woman. That's why we have the, that's where intersectionality was coined right? Women do not, women are not a monolith. We do not have the same experience. Just like non-binary folks, are, folk are not a monolith. Do they not have the same experience? You know, a black person is going to have a different experience than an indigenous person who, who is a black person who's differently able is going to have a different experience than an indigenous person that is, is, is able-bodied. 
that's Jewish, that's Catholic, that's this, that's that. So it's like all of those pieces come into one. And if we understand that truly, if we teach that in physical therapy programs and we kind of Jedi mind trick our students, like layer that stuff from like year one, year two, year three, they're going to come out understanding this at a cellular level. So it won't be such a Herculean lift to adjust when things like this happen. Because for me, I don't have to change my practice when stuff like this happens. My practice is already crafted and designed to be a soft landing no matter what. But that was highly intentional. And I worked for that. Like I sought for, I sought to know understanding. I don't, this is not just my lived experience as a black woman, which is legit. Because that narrative history is legit. But I've done the research. I've, I've seen this piece. I ta- I've been talking about this for years, pre-COVID, pre-George Floyd. Been lecturing this for, for years. So do you, um, do you offer courses? To, I know you did have a course on um, like DEI stuff, but do you offer courses to therapists to become more emotionally intelligent in practicing? <laughs> Um, That's a a great idea. That's a great idea. I I don't, I mean, I do more consulting for like small companies Mm -hmm. and um, startups and things like that. Uh, So I, I, you know, they hire me to kind of say, Hey, this is, this is how we, what we want to do. And I do that. Um, But you know, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. Hey, we came on Alex and Mo first. Yes, yes. You know, get you, we will talk about it offline. I'll get you guys a (laughs) cut. I'm but, all yes. about sharing that wealth, my friend. <laughs> no, but I mean that's that's a serious concern because I, I honestly think like a lot of it is lacking. Um, I'm I'm gonna tell a fun experience that I had earlier this morning. Um, I went to a patient's house to do a side of care, and based on what was presented, I was challenged to know if to admit the person or not. But I was like, you know what? If nobody else comes, this is going to stay the same. She's not going to get any better. What could I do in that moment to at least help improve the situation for her? So the majority of my style of care was like breaking down boxes to create a pathway for her to walk. Uh, she lives like on the third floor, like hoarding with a lot of boxes. She's getting meals delivered because she's on chemo- chemotherapy. And she just suffered a compression fracture because of... Um, opinion. so she can't bend to lift those boxes yeah. so I was like her situation is just going to get worse so I had to take a step back and be like look this is not about physical therapy it's about helping another human being but a lot of people will be like nah, nah that's not my job exactly you know what Mo like I feel like and you see Mo and I both practice in home health Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like the majority of home health is that though. Like, I think there's very little physical therapy. If we're being honest, if we're being honest, there's very little physical therapy involved and more just being a kind human being in, in figuring out what these individuals need on a very basic level. Absolutely. Um, Because you know, for me, it's always like you, you need to move, right? Like, and, and I always try to like make it as simple as possible for, for my patients, but it's like, I don't care about exercise. Like, yeah, exercise is great and all this stuff. Like, 
I need you to move so you can function in your home so that you can do the things that you need to do on a human level, right? right? That you can take care of your needs. You can get you some nutrition and, and all that stuff. And it's just like, it's not physical. I mean, it is physical therapy, but yeah. it, it's like, I'm just here to help. I'm just Absolutely. here to help. You know, I'm, I'm not here to get you to compete. I'm not here to get you to play in the weekend league. I'm not here to, to do any of that. Right. And, and I think a lot of people get caught up and, and the horror stories are the people that say that they've had negative experiences in home health. I feel like you're going into it with the wrong mentality. Yeah. You're going into it with almost like a fixer, but you're not there to fix. Right. You, you you're know, right. And, and, and I think that if we can, as healthcare professionals, just get back to that level first and then build off of that, then we can make those meaningful impacts wherever that that practice area is but on a very basic level is we've got to start dealing with people and as humans right no matter what they look like what they believe hell like i know in another show i, I mentioned this i'm like i don't have to agree with uc i don't have to agree with mo but at the end of the day i'm gonna treat them with the utmost of respect, because that's what I would expect them to do with me, re re regardless of what they think, what they don't think, how they feel, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and I just think right now we're, we're in a place where we don't move like that. Right. I think because we, we're in a position of privilege. I honestly think so. And I honestly think sometimes we have the savior complex. I mean, I know at one point in time as a clinician, as a, especially a new grad, I had it. I thought I was coming out to save the world. Absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, we, the, I mean, this could be a conversation about imposter syndrome as well. Um, you know, not really understanding that piece, but I think you're, you're absolutely right, Alex. Like it's, it's kind of having that, um, like that foundational understanding about how we're entering in that space. You know, like people can talk about it as trauma informed. You can say you're taking from biopsychosocial model. You could, whatever, whatever model you want to pick, like, you you do you right it's it's really about how are we going to promote this person's well-being what are the thing what are the factors in their environment that are impeding it what are the factors that are facilitate that can facilitate it how do we optimize those facilitators how do we minimize those things that are barriers and then we go from there and you can say that sentence for someone who is an elite athlete to someone who just had a spinal cord injury to someone that you're working with them in home health and they're having chemo and they have a compression factor because the osteopenia they got from the chemo right and so that that can be that's i think a really core core piece because i think sometimes back to most question of like what are we doing during these times if we're seeing a lot of legislative changes like you know there are certain states that you can't say dei right in the academic space um and it's like you don't need to be picketing and fighting city hall right it could be about looking inward in your practice and in your and it could be not even your clinical practice it could be with how you're engaging with your family members and friends and the conversations that you're having Right. It, it's about changing your, it's learning a new, it's also about learning a new language. 
right? For some of us, it is feels like learning a new language. And what, what do we have to do to learn a language? We need to practice. We need mentors. We need teachers. Right? Absolutely. We, we, like, that's, that's it. Like, for me, I am never going to say that I know everything about everything. I know what I know. And I know who I am. And then from that, that's how I operate. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, and, that's just it. And, and like you said before, like, you know, you, because you know who you are and you're true to yourself, you're able to develop your practice the way that you wanted potentially, and this is an assumption on my part, but how you wanted people to potentially treat you. Yeah. Right. So you, you designed it to, like you said, be a soft landing spot for those that needed it and the ones that wanted it. So having to do all of this isn't much of a change for you because it's been day one. No, right. Not and, really. Yeah. It's just this is just how our, this is just how you see roles. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like if more of us, even as clinicians, were true to ourselves, that it, it would help us get to that. But I, I feel like a lot of times we're competing with, you know, the therapist next door or the person on Twitter who may have some more letters after the name or, you know, is it manual therapy or is it exercise? Which is which, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like we, we're so consumed with trying to be something that may or may not be who we are, but we've decided that that's what we need to do. And I think if we just get it back to like, just be true to yourself. And then from there you can build because it's your, it's authentic. Absolutely. I, I think that um, one of the things that WCPT, it was this excellent talk and I, I feel so guilty that I don't remember the name of the individual, but he's from Samoa, but um, based out of New Zealand. Um, and he led this talk called Indigenous Leadership. So if anyone is able to get the recording, watch the talk on Indigenous Leadership. It was mind-blowing and excellent. And he talked about the purpose of, you know, working with marginalized populations and how to address colonialism in PT education. And he has to remember the purpose of, of the education is to build self-determination, right? It's to get people back, rebuild self-determination in certain groups. And, and if we think about, man, what a, what, a, what a wonderful compass when we're thinking about education. My goal as a PT is to get self-determination, to get this patient educated, to get them as their own driver of their health. And, and knowing the factors that influence their health, that can influence their health. And, just, and I tell people this all the time, just because we know, like, it doesn't mean that every, you know, you know, Asian person coming in is going to be dealing with imposter syndrome or the model minority experience. No, but us having that information and being able to inform how we treat our patient and when we're inquiring about what's going on in their life and having that baseline understanding can really help elevate your intervention, can really help educate them about their own health and the things that impact their own health, right? And how they engage in their health and well-being. And it just takes it to a whole new level. And that's informed care. That's inclusive care. That's that's great care. Whatever label you want to put on it. Man, um, 
we need to have more of those um, talks. Um, but I saw a lot of people complaining that most of the social issue topics that they uh, proposed were rejected. So um, we need more more talks uh, um, like that. Um, so you see, what's what's in the future for you? Like, what's in the car? What? <laughs> I know something big. Besides the emotional intelligence platform that you're going to create. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's 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 a heck of a question, Mo. I like here's the thing. Right now, uh-huh. I this year has been about ease. Ease. Okay. That's my word of the year. Ease. I'm not, I've noticed you've been taking some social media breaks. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing more of it. I'm doing more of it. Too. Yeah, social media is a, is a hell of a drug. What can I say? Um, it's, you know, I was consistent for so many years. And then I got, you know, I had some some health issues that I recovered from. But it, it took me some time to to get back to it. And I think, for me, it's about ease. But there are things that, um, the fruits of your labor, right? This year, I'm like kind of act, I'm really engaging the fruits of my labor. So I spent last year while during my break developing the sexual health certificate program that I developed with Heather Edwards. And we're now in the middle, just started our second cohort and we're going to do our third cohort and that's going very well. And I'm really excited about that. Um, doing some projects with some uh, media companies. This is really exciting. Um, just promoting pelvic health, j- sexual health. Um, you know, I think right now I, I really want to master the art of ease because I do think that that's a great business model. I do believe in rest because um, I've been hustling for so long. And I just want to yeah. say that's an excellent business model. And it's funny that this is the first year in seven years that I've like kind of chilled and all of these things are just <laughs> coming. <laughs> and I'm like, how? I, this is you, the you, you, you attract. Do this you do manifest destiny? You, you attract. You attract what you Please. manifest, right? It's bananas. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that just goes to show that when you do something that you're passionate about and you enjoy it and you do it for the right reasons, all the good stuff's going to come. All the stuff is going to come because I agree. Um, you know, Mo knows I'm a, I'm a I'm a big believer. I have my faith and and I know that you you just you just got to have that faith and just keep moving just keep yeah, moving yeah. because when the time is right it, it it's going to be there for you and it and it's never the time that you thought it needed to be or the time that you wanted it to be it's the time that you know it, it was decided that that was the right time so you know ease if ease is what's going to get it for you then uh you know then more power to ease man but you you're doing big things uh we we really really appreciate your time i know we had to track you across halfway around the world to get you on um but i'm I'm, I'm glad we were able to to get you nailed down now that you're back in texas for who knows how long might be catching i can't believe you i'll be i'm I'm gonna be out of town next week i'll be in portugal there you go see (laughs) i'm speak i'm speaking at a conference Listen, her, her passport is gonna look like one of these big books because she's gonna need them extra pages to get in and out. Man. Of well, 
I my claim to fame is that I shared a panel uh, spot with her like a few years ago, and it was a really great experience um, at CSM After Dark in uh, New Orleans. So that was um, great. I remember yes. that fondly. Was- that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, You've always been authentic. You've always been a hard worker. So I am not surprised. Everything that's coming to you in your year of ease is is happening. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy for you. I'm just honored to be on this podcast. I'm so honored. Thank you both for this. Has been a great time. Awesome. Thank you again. We do appreciate your time. Um, We look forward to to seeing what what great things are in store for for you and the UC Logic and and everything that you're you're involved with. Um, So thank you again. We really do appreciate your time. Um, And as always, to our followers, uh, thank you for the support. Thank you for watching. Please share, retweet, favorite, all that good stuff. Hit us up. Um, Follow her on uh, Instagram. You won't regret it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, everybody have a good night. Be safe. Bye.